inspiring, doesn't it? <laughs> How many of you have either heard of or seen this documentary? Okay. So it's going around, and uh, um, I, I, I spoke about technology a little bit in September, and I'm sure you guys remember it as one of your top 10 favorite sermons of all time. Um, <laughs> you spoke last month? Um, no, it wasn't last month. It wasn't. You didn't. <laughs> the point is, afterward... It was right after this documentary came out. I hadn't heard of it, but I had several people approach me in that week that followed saying, um, hey, have you seen The Social Dilemma? Is this where you got all your content? Is this, I said, no, what is it? But I feel like now maybe I need to. Mm, Good job. We're doing well. Um, Before we get too far into it, Jeff, tell me why are we three sitting so close together without masks on? We are on staff together, so that starts. We're around each other quite a bit, so we felt a little bit more comfortable sitting a little closer than socially distanced. Uh, we basically, know, all of our cubicles share adjoining walls. and <laughs> Yeah. So we spend a lot of our time There's together. shares so of a wall. Worried, I just stand in between the two and talk to yeah, both of them Yeah, or if you think it's not fair that we get to be up here without a mask on and you got to wear one, just come up with something worth saying and maybe we'll give you a chance. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I had to break the tension with a little something because we're talking about some, some possibly kind of tough things here. And this tagline, see on this slide, says the technology that connects us also controls us. And for a lot of people who saw this documentary for the first time, this may have been the first time you ever heard about this concept, even though there's been a ton of research over the last decade or so um, relating to this. But first of all, I just want to point out technology in itself is not evil. In fact, technology is not new. Technology is just the application of scientific knowledge in a practical application, and so, or for practical purposes. So technology has been around. Think of some of, the, some of the technologies that we've used for a long time, like the sundial, which eventually turned into the clock. But every time that a new technology evolves, we gain something and we lose something. You see, with the sundial and the clock, we gained efficiency, but we also lost our natural circadian rhythm. We used to wake up when the sun came up and go to bed when the sun went down, right? So we gained something, but we also lost something. Um, consider, what else do we have up there? Printing press? Uh, with the printing press, we gained mass communication but we kind of lost some of our communal context, the way that information had been orally communicated and passed down from generation to generation. It was a Reformation catalyst, right? We probably wouldn't have had the Reformation at the scale that it was when we were able to put the word in, in people's hands in their own language to read. But then you had people complaining about machines replacing their jobs, right? It's a good thing this is just old news. Um... The light bulb, 140 years ago, the light bulb was invented. And I mentioned this stat before, but did you realize that before the light bulb, the average American slept 11 hours per night? The average now is seven hours per night. And for teenagers, it's actually a lot lower, even though they require a lot more um, because of a lot of things we're gonna talk about today. And so we gained the ability to stay up after dark, but we lost our sleep, our rest and more of our rhythm. And so when it comes to some of the things we're gonna talk about today, 
these time and labor-saving devices. There's a lot of useful apps. There's entertainment venues. There's a way to stay connected during a pandemic, even as a church. We're utilizing some of these online technologies to stay connected with you best we can. But how many of us have taken the time or the effort to really understand how these products and services continue to affect us? So as we continue on in this series, Salt and Light, you're like, why are you talking about this during Salt and Light? Because in Salt and Light, we've been visiting areas where we can be light, where we are engaged and influential, or where we need to be, right? And one place that a lot of us are engaged is on these services and platforms and devices. That's good. <laughs> I was going to go on. I realized I when you start throwing stuff in that's not in there, you just need to move on sometimes. Um, yeah. Please. Well, I think that even if it's not necessarily you are on these platforms per se, you're being affected by this. And as I watch this, the social dilemma, and I've been trying to, even when it comes to salt and light personally, how do I engage these platforms um, or even just engage technology without it taking over my life and, and ruling me? Um, but also being like, no, we, this is a form of communication that we can use to be salt and light in our world, but are we doing it? And as I watch this um, documentary, I think one thing that I feel very compelled to do is, if nothing else, I mean, the world is the way that it is. <laughs> um, but you guys, we're the church and we need to be awake. And we, we need to be aware of what's going on. And you might wonder why we're having this type of topic on a Sunday morning instead of a class, but you, we, we have to be aware of what's happening around us um, because to be the light in the darkness, <laughs> we, what I always think of Hebrew, and Hebrew knowledge actually means light. Um, so we have to have the knowledge to be the light. So we need to be aware and awake, and it's critical during this time as there's so much going on. There's censorship. There's conspiracy theories going on. There's so much craziness in our world. As believers, we need to be grounded. We need to be truthful. We need to be graceful. We need to be full of love, and we need to be full of knowledge. Um, and we're going to do this best together, <laughs> and that's why we're doing it here on a Sunday morning. Um, to take this out so we can all be um, just aware of what's happening. Yeah, that's great. I think uh, it's just such an important topic, even just to have a conversation around, kind of as these two were saying. And I, I just remember I have a lot of friends that were reaching out to me about the social dilemma and how I needed to see it. And even just for our personal relationship with our phones and devices, it's just such a, a crucial topic to talk about because as we've all seen, it's, it's been taken over our lives and in coffee shops and restaurants and just affecting the way that we live life. And uh, so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have an interesting conversation this morning. When I watched uh, The Social Dilemma, I had to take it in two tries because it freaked me out uh, the first run. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that gives you like a low-grain anxiety because you watch it and it tells you everything that is wrong um, and just explains all those issues that you already knew about, but then just takes it to like the nth degree to where you're like, oh man, I didn't even realize how bad it was. So uh, for that reason, we just felt like it'd be a great uh, topic of conversation and just with our walks with Jesus. So um, with that being said, let's get into the conversation. We've got a video for everyone to check out explaining more about it. These technology products were not designed by child psychologists who are trying to protect and nurture children. 
they were just designing to make these algorithms that were really good at recommending the next video to you or the really good at getting you to take a photo with the filter on it. It's not just that it's controlling where they spend their attention. Especially social media starts to dig deeper and deeper down to the brainstem and take over kids' sense of self-worth and identity. We evolved to care about whether other people in our tribe think well of us or not, because it matters. But were we evolved to be aware of what 10,000 people think of us? We were not evolved to have social approval being dosed to us every five minutes. That was not at all what we were able to experience. We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it really is, is fake, brittle popularity. That's short-term and that leaves you even more, and admit it, vacant and empty before you did it. Because then it forces you into this vicious cycle where you're like, what's the next thing I need to do now? Because I need it back. Think about that compounded by two billion people. And then think about how people react then to the perceptions of others. It's just a, it's a really bad. It's really, really bad. There has been a gigantic increase in depression and anxiety for American teenagers, which began right around between 2011 and 2013. The number of teenage girls out of 100,000 in this country who are admitted to a hospital every year because they cut themselves or otherwise harm themselves, that number was pretty stable until around 2010, 2011, and then it begins going way up. It's up 62% for older teen girls. It's up 189% for the preteen girls. That's nearly triple. Even more horrifying, we see the same pattern with suicide. The older teen girls, 15 to 19 years old, they're up 70% compared to the first decade of the century. The preteen girls, who have very low rates to begin with, they are up 151%. And that pattern points to social media. Gen Z, the kids born after 1996 or so, those kids are the first generation in history that got on social media in middle school. How do they spend their time? They come home from school and they're on their devices. A whole generation is more anxious, more fragile, more depressed. They're much less comfortable taking risks. The rates at which they get driver's licenses have been dropping. The number who have ever gone out on a date or had any kind of romantic interaction is dropping rapidly. This is a real change in a generation. 
And remember, for every one of these, for every hospital admission, there's a family that is traumatized and horrified. My God, what is happening to our kids? Probably around a decade ago, I remember coming across an article that talked about how young children as young as five and six years old were being clinically diagnosed with depression at alarming rates. I'm thinking, what on earth is a five-year-old or a six-year-old given a, a healthy, healthy home, what do they have to be depressed about? Well, they found a direct correlation to overstimulation of the mind from, from screens from tablets, YouTube videos, whatever the case is, these fast-changing images, games, things that would stimulate their brains and overstimulate their brains in these especially developmental stages, and they would become depressed because of it. Disrupted sleep. And you know what's interesting is research reveals that increased screen time weakens developmental skills like reading, writing, sustained concentration in children and adults. Isn't that interesting that even adults who, if you grew up with a healthy childhood, playing outdoors, whatever the case, that prefrontal cortex can actually thin over time by exposure or absorption in these, these screens, devices, and services. But we can't just throw the screens out, right? You know why? Because <laughs> they are addictive. They are addictive and they are designed that way. A Stanford study revealed that the smartphone screen lights up the same area of the brain as opioids. So in other words, the rewards pathways mediated by the dopamine, right? You get that dopamine shot, you feel good. They respond to screens in a very similar way to opioids. Isn't that interesting? It's like a drug. In fact, Edward Tuft says this way, he says there are only two industries that call their customers users. Illegal drugs, and software. <laughs> Think about that. Why is it addictive? There are no stopping cues. On Netflix, you got to go out of your way to keep the next episode from playing, right? Or on YouTube, autoplay. There's no stopping cues in video games. In fact, they're, they're, and rightfully so, because these platforms, they make their money, but the longer you stay on. Number two, these screens provide unpredictable rewards, okay? If you posted on Instagram a photo knowing that every single time you posted any photo that you were going to get exactly 10 likes, it would eventually grow monotonous. But these app developers spent time studying slot machine workers in Las Vegas, and they found that, that you actually get more um, addiction, you get more gravitation toward these applications and more time spent on them if you provide unpredictable rewards. I don't know, maybe I'm going to post this photo and maybe this time it's going to get more likes than the last one and it keeps us coming back and back for that next dopamine hit, right? And then third, the reason they're addictive is these screens tap into the power of goals. I don't know if anyone has Snapchat, but do you remember when the, the streaks came out and you actually get like these alerts that pops, like, yeah, you've done 178 straight days in a row. Keep it going. That was stressful. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Steve Jobs, the legendary CEO and founder of Apple. A decade or so ago, he released the iPad into the world, right? And after millions and millions of sales of this legendary device, he was doing an interview for a, for a paper. And the interviewee said, so how do your own kids, you know, like this device that you've created? And he says, they've never touched one. He's like, we have very strict rules about device screen time usage at our household. And you know what's interesting is it's not just him. When you look at all of the CEOs, VPs, the upper management of all of these, not just social networking, but video streaming sites, they send their own children to device-free schools and learning environments. They don't let devices in their kids' rooms or hallway. They're so strict because they know what they're doing in order to, to make the dollar dollar bill, right? <laughs> so, so the question then becomes, how much is too much? Here's just a simple evaluation I found, and this is a great little book. I'll recommend it in a little bit. Um, but I think this is, these are screen time warning signs. And I think these apply to those, if you have children or grandchildren, think about them, or, you know, think of this applies to you as well. But here's warning signs that you may be spending too much time on a screen. Number one, are you irritable, tearful, depressed, or angry on a regular ongoing business or basis? Are you unfocused, forgetful, or disorganized? Are you or your child defiant or impulsive? Do they exhibit poor social skills? Are they reclusive? Are they unempathetic? I think this is the one that scares me most, is, is this new reality that we as the human race are slowly losing our empathy, our ability to understand and share the feelings of others. We're, we're losing a part of our humanity because people now can be canceled. If you don't agree with them, you cancel them. Relationships are becoming disposable, and there's no escape. Pastor Curtis talked about this. Remember when bullying used to just happen at school or on your way home from school, but home was a safe place, and now so many of our teens, if the stats read right, at least 37% of our teenagers have, ex have been victims of online bullying. That's astounding. I didn't know we had that many insecure people in the world to begin with that would do this sort of bullying. Um, and then there's the comparison trap because it's so easy just to compare yourself to someone else's post. And, and again, like Pastor Curtis said, it's like often you're, you're, you're comparing your worst to their best or we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We say, well, at least I didn't post that. At least I'm not doing that, you know? And it's either way, it's... It's dreadful. Um, I think there's so many people now that are trying to find themselves, trying to find their place in this world. But I, I feel like when a person can't identify who they are or more importantly, whose they are, how can they possibly begin to see that they were created on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose in their life? And when you look at the skyrocketing suicide rates, it makes sense, doesn't it? When people have no purpose, they begin to wonder, what is the point in living? That's good. Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to, I don't think our devices are necessarily evil. I just think that they're extremely complex tools 
Um, on one side of things, they have the ability to manipulate us, distract us, disconnect us from, you know, Jesus and each other. But on the flip side of things, they can be used to spread hope and joy and love and connect people with the love of Jesus. Um, the question, though, becomes who's using who? And I, I don't think we're saying don't use your phones. Um, you know, for a lot of us, our work is on our phone or whatever. We're just saying don't let your phone use you. And kind of just to get a, a check on where you're at with that, start asking yourself some of those questions. Is by using my phone, is it cause me more fear, more anxiety? Is it cause me to be more depressed, compare myself to other people and feel less about myself? Is it causing me to respond to people out of anger when I disagree with them? Or am I just mindlessly scrolling on my phone too much? Um, I know that that's the case for me. And in the documentary, it said uh, the average American spends five and a half hours per day on their phone. That stat blew me away. But then I thought about it, and I was like, I don't even want to know how much time I've wasted mindlessly scrolling through Instagram. Um, and, uh, but I love what Jesus says in Matthew 6.21. He says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I think for many of us, our greatest resource is our time. And if you show me your time, I'll show you your treasure. And I think what breaks my heart is that for many of us, our treasure is in the palm of our hand instead of Jesus. And, um, and we just need to, I think we need to wake up because if we're not careful, too much digital distraction will lead to spiritual disconnection. I mean, I don't know about you, how many times were you like, you're getting ready to pray or you're thinking about praying or you're reading scripture, you're on your phone, going to the Bible app, and then you get an alert or, you know, somehow you find yourself on Instagram scrolling and that time takes up the time that you were supposed to be getting filled up by Jesus, the ultimate source, and yet you're feeling depleted throughout your day because you're spending so much time um, digitally distracted. I know that that's always a challenge for me. And if we're not careful, I think our phones can become idols. They can take the place of Jesus. And honestly, one of the ways that, uh, or just an example, just from my own life, is I was reading through the major and minor prophets, and uh, which sounds super spiritual. By so the way. cool. It's not a big deal. You know, just on my daily reading plan. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Start doing that, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I was reading through, and, and I can't remember if it was Isaiah or Ezekiel. Now I'm starting to expose myself. Uh, but it was somewhere in Scripture. And it was, basically they were just blasting um, the Israelite people for worshiping handmade, you know, things and idols and just made from wood or clay. And I kind of jumped on the... Uh, uh, on the uh, judgmental train. I don't know if you ever do this when you're reading scripture, and I was like, yeah, who, who would do that? Worship handmade idols instead of the creator God. I go, what a bunch of pathetic losers, right? I'm like, these guys, come on, get with it. And as I'm saying that, right after I said that, I proceeded to pull my phone out of my pocket and literally bow my head to it and start <laughs> scrolling on it. <laughs> and, and it just was a kind of a funny conviction saying, you know, it might look different in 2020, but we're still fighting the same battles as those Israelites. And we're still struggling, I think, with putting things ahead of Jesus.
Yeah, and I think, yeah, there's nothing new under the sun. And as I was, like, watching the... For me, it made my heart break when I was watching the suicide rates for the girls go up. Um, and because of the distraction, as, a, as someone who has struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts since I was very young, which a lot of people are like, when you're that young, how can you have those thoughts? I know that people think it. People have asked me that. And I don't know what else to tell you except that I had them. And, um, and so to grow up and not even have, like, I did not have social media. I mean, I had a cell phone at, like, right before I turned 16. But we just had, like, snake on our phone. We didn't have, like, social media until I got... Okay. <laughs> Expose my age, Jeff. Okay. Oh, and so I was going to sing that chorus, what's my age again? And then I realized that would date me, so yeah. I'm not going to sing that either. <laughs> we sat in age order. That's what... <laughs> No, but it, when I really understand, like, I didn't have that um, until MySpace and then Facebook um, came out, but it wasn't until later when I was watching that and watching the suicide rates, 137% go up in depression, 151% in suicide rates for teenage girls. This is an issue. This is a problem. And this is why we're talking about it, because this is on our watch. And I didn't have that back then, and if I would have had the access to digital things that I have now at that point when I was not ready to have it in my life, I don't know if I would be sitting here. I honestly can say that I'm not sure that I would have made it, and it should break our hearts that these kids are going through this. And so even though it might not be you or it might not be your child, it, you know someone, and this is important that we're talking about it because we're getting so distracted by what you're saying. Like, the digital distraction will keep us from finding that purpose that you're, you're talking about. It becomes that pacifier thing instead of going to the only one who actually can fill that void in us that we're searching for. And we're made to find. He wants us to find it. And so it's up to us to lead people to that, to that truth. I, well, I, honestly was I don't just, even know how to follow up. Honestly, I was just, about like, to just start preaching, fire. and then I just tried to stop because. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what's interesting too, <laughs> like, documentary. I should put a seatbelt yeah. on because I'm about to start going. Okay. There's, well, and there's some areas like the clip we showed focused on young girls. Um, the documentary doesn't even address video games. Ninety-seven percent of teenage boys play video games to varying degrees. Um, but this is becoming a place, whether it's, you know, from Fortnite, World of Warcraft, whatever, gets your goat. But these are areas that are doing the same thing with your mind. They're reducing your empathy because, because now you're engaging with some of these violent acts. Well, I know the difference between real life and not. Your brain doesn't. Over repeated, repeated incidents, you grow less and less empathetic. Right, right. And so we're growing more... Anxious, depressed, distracted, and we are more polarized than we can remember. I I'm not going to say ever, and because that's not the truth. <laughs> um, because if you look at history, it's not the case, but we are feeling the effects of it in this moment. Is that true? <laughs> We're seeing this, and, and my hope right now is to kind of take us up to a little bit of a broader view of what's happening, because nothing that we do is in a vacuum, right? Pastor Kurt, a.k.a. Father, um, I never call him Father, okay, <laughs> Dad, um, he always talks about how we don't sin in a vacuum. Like, when we sin, it affects people around us. 
And I'm not saying that technology or any of this stuff equates sin. It's what we're doing with it. And what we do with our time, it is not done in a vacuum. It affects the people around us. And what we're seeing in our world now is more polarization and and intensity and um, lack of empathy that you've touched on, Josiah. Such a sharp division. Polarization is a sharp division as of a population or group into opposing factions. Division. Who, who would want that to happen? Yeah, the enemy wants that to happen. That is his goal, is to create division between us, between marriages, between families, between communities, between the church. In the world, this is going to happen, but in the church, that is not our call. Our call is to unity. And what we see is all these polarization and all these divisions happening. They say in the video that when you, depending on who you are, what area you live in, and what you've searched before, when you type in Google, you know how it gives you the recommendations? It already is going to tend to what you already want to know. So if I type in climate change is, depending on what I've looked up, it could come up as climate change is a hoax. Or climate change is the end of all humanity. Like, you, you never know what you're going to get, but it's, it's catering to what you already want to hear, and we've got to wake up. Because these things are here to tell you and kind of, like, kind of, almost like, I don't, I don't have the right verbiage to say this, but like, stroke our egos. Like, oh, yeah, we're right. We're right on that. We're right on that. And what's happening is it's polarizing it so much that we don't actually even see what other people are seeing. We don't even see the news that they're getting. And so we can look at other people and be like, how can Josiah be so dumb? I get that a lot. (laughs) To where I'm just like, how can he not see this? But the fact is, is that Josiah's not seeing it. They create these systems so that you see what you want to see. And so when, it, when that happens, they lean into disinformation. So polarization happens because of the extreme disinformation because it says that on Twitter, disinformation travels six times faster, if you will, travels shared than truth. Six times faster. And we are all, a lot of us are on Facebook, and you know that's true. Share, share, share. And then what's happening is censorship. No, you can't, you can't. And, and we're all going crazy because it sounds like my truth is not being told. This disinformation makes more money for them, you guys, more clicks. And so what our job is, is that we need to search for the truth. We need to go past what we are given, like, and just take it all as truth. Say, what is the source of this? What do I agree with? And I will say we need to caution that if everything agrees with you, everything you're seeing agrees with you, you're probably not looking in enough places. (laughs) We should be concerned when everything lines up exactly with what we're feeling. Because the world wants you to do things based off of our feelings. But in Proverbs 4.23, it says to guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. And in Jeremiah, it says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? We have got to put on the breastplate of righteousness and understand what is right, what is good, what is pure, what is holy, and guard our hearts and our emotions so that it's lined up with God's will instead of what the world is wanting us to feel and react to. Because if we react to people quickly, we can destroy relationships and it destroys what we're seeing whole nations. 
Because the polarization led by disinformation is there because we are not unified. And actually, we are being separated, and we went from a place of community into a place of individualization. And the world worships individualization. And I want to say first, like, you are made on purpose, for a purpose, uniquely just, like, God has made you specifically. I, well, trust me, I'm so passionate about that. Like, come on. Come on, somebody. Like, I, I want to let people and, and help people see how uniquely God has created you. But it's not just for you. It's to go out into the world and to bring those gifts out and pass that. And the enemy wants us to stay in our little bubbles and to not find unity. Um, I will just confess that not too long ago I was on Facebook. I don't have cable um, because, you know, ministry life. Anyways, um, <laughs> and uh, don't got the middle left. That was the joke. And so anyways, I go onto Facebook to watch a lot of my news things and I was just going through the videos. You know how they like give you another video to watch and give you another video to watch. And what happened was is a video popped up and I, it was like not what I agree with. And I was like, oh, this they're watching me and they're trying to get me to think the other way. And I was just like, you know, like they're trying to like, you know, they're coming into my Facebook and like, you know, tricking me. And I was just like, no, I was so upset that it wasn't something that I agreed with. And it was a light bulb moment that I'm so in my silo and so in my thing that I'm not even trying to hear how other people could even be thinking. And that is the enemy's tactic is to separate and to isolate us into our little silos to where we cannot find common ground so that we're fighting each other. And that's gonna happen in the world, but it can't happen in the church. And what I believe that why we don't have empathy is because we don't have proximity to one another. And without proximity, we won't have empathy because we won't find common ground. And without empathy, we can't have unity. And there's a line in there that says, how do you know, like, or what was it? The Matrix line is my favorite. How do you wake up from the Matrix when you don't know you're in the Matrix? I'm here to tell you, we're in a Matrix, and we have got to wake up. The world needs the church to wake up. I'll run with it. That was so good. How do you follow that up? Um, I think, too, just for, you know, us on the stage, it's kind of an ongoing, it's, it's a attention to manage. Um, and I think it's, we're, we're up here, we're still trying to figure it out and just trying to do our best, you know, with the Holy Spirit and, and with biblical truth to just be wise, um, I think, with our time and how we spend it and you know, what we do on our devices, how long we're on our devices. And so I think just with the right, you know, limits, boundaries, um, certain things, we can develop a healthy relationship with our devices. Um, and I think, you know, we, we each have kind of our, our bent on, you know, personal things that we, we've done, we've discovered, we've researched different tips and applications that we'd love to share with you um, just from our own personal lives. So one of the biggest things I think for me, um, is my wife works three nights a week at the hospital. And what I, what I was finding is when she is working, you know, I had the ability to spend as much time as I possibly wanted to on my phone, on my device, watching Netflix, whatever it may be. And that's exactly what I was doing. But it, be, it, it got to a certain point where um, it just was so unhealthy. Like I was just suffering from this 
anxiety and I couldn't sleep and, you know, my mind was just so restless. I was finding myself just comparing with everyone under the sun on Instagram and I needed kind of like a wake-up call and um, it was interesting. There was one night where I, I was like, man, what is going on? Why am I struggling with this anxiety? I was, you know, just like, Lord, help me. And um, I realized that I was playing video games. I had my laptop up watching YouTube. I, had, I was on my phone, and I had music playing all at the same time. <laughs> and, and I felt like it was just the wake-up call that I needed that, you know what? Something needs to change here. <laughs> this isn't sustainable. This isn't healthy. Even though I had the right to do it, it wasn't wrong by any means. It just wasn't healthy. And I love this verse in 1 Corinthians 6.12. Um, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, quoting them, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, they said. And this is Paul. I love this line but I will not be mastered by anything. That hit me between the eyes because I think that's the mentality that we need to have is to say, you know what? I will not be mastered by anything other than Christ. He needs to be my center, you know, where I live my life from. He needs to be my wisdom. He needs to be my source. And, you know, I can't let everything else kind of creep its way into the spot that was designed for Jesus. And I think, you know, there were several things. So I started kind of looking up, um, you know, how to get this healthy relationship, you know, with my phone. And one of the books, if you haven't read this book, this is probably one of my favorite books that I've ever written. It's called um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by John Mark Comer. So if you're into reading or whatever, you can listen to it on Audible or whatever. But this book gave me so many practical tips um, to have a healthy relationship with my phone. And one of the things that I do is, um, this might be an extreme example, but I set a bedtime for my phone. So it's called, if you're an iPhone user, I don't know what it would be on Android, but it's, it's I schedule downtime away from my phone. So from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m., like most of the apps that I'd spend most of my time on are locked up. Like I cannot even get into them because I, I had page set a password for me. So even if I tried to bypass the system, I'm not getting in, you know? And uh, it, it's just been such a healthy way for me to replace bad habits, you know, on my phone of just sitting there scrolling the night away with better habits of, you know, I, I walk my little crazy dog, Ivy, and I use that time as a prayer time. And, you know, I, it's been really cool because I've been able to meet a lot of my neighbors and have conversations and have these divine moments to be able to talk about life with my neighbors and even share Jesus with a few of them. And so, you know, I think it, it kind of goes back to that idea of just living life with your head up, aware, living life unplugged so that you can be used as a vessel for the kingdom and allow God to use you as an influence. And I think when we, we talk about this issue and we, we, we you know, kind of dive into it, I think my biggest passion and concern is that we miss moments. I don't want us to miss moments because life is so short and, and you know, it'll pass us by and, and you know, I think the scariest thing is we can, we, we can miss so many divine moments if we're just there scrolling on our phone. I know it's happened to me several times, but I want to fight that. I want to be put in a, a position to be used by Christ anywhere at any time because my head is up and I'm looking around to make a difference. Good. 
I saw a commercial once where this girl and this guy were sitting, they were like walking past each other. I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, and they had their heads down. And so they missed each other. And then they replayed it back. If their heads were up, they would have ran into each other, but they would have started talking and then they got married. Um, and so I've really held that close to my heart. <laughs> Put your phone down, Allie. Your husband could be sitting right next to you. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> That's a serious divine appointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on your point, just where again, it just becomes so easy to compare yourself or to hear sometimes the voices of people that you may or may not even know that well and hear those as they relate to your identity more than the voice of God. You know, and I think when you look in scripture, consider the word like in Psalm 139. The psalmist is speaking to God, and he says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. He knows you better than you know yourself. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways, all my ways, even what would happen when your phone was unlocked, right? <laughs> um, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you, Lord, know it completely. He us so well. You hem me. I love that word. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there, right? In the mountains or the, the highlands or the heartache. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. How many of our children believe that with all of their heart? How many of us believe that with all of our heart? What has your attention? Do you spend more time listening to God's voice or the voices of other, your friends, your family, your kids are watching to see if this God thing is real? What are they seeing in you? Remember who and whose you are. Remember you were made on purpose, with purpose, for a divine purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're trying to give some practical tips. The phone bedtime um, and the book. This is a book, I guess I'm the closest of us three to becoming a dad, <laughs> a parent at the, at the moment. For sure. <laughs> Unless Allie comes and swings in with a surprise adoption or something, but um, this book, um, co-written by Gary Chapman of Five Love Languages fame and Arlene Pelican. It's called Screen Kids. Um, some of the research they've updated. I mean, you can read about COVID pandemic in here and how that's affected um, things. So it's pretty up to date. And they have versions for parents as well as for grandparents, if you're a grandparent of a minor. Um, I think this book is, was incredibly practical. And um, 
I just can't recommend it enough. It talks about how to nurture five areas that kids these days are becoming more and more deficient in. Um, it talks from a whole realm whether one of the authors, um, her, none of her teenagers, her 17-year-old son doesn't have a cell phone, period. You know, and Gary, his, his teenagers did, um, and they're older now. He's like, but they're, and so you have a whole range of recommendations even based on your own family's um, opinions and, and convictions on these things too. And it's so practical. How do you talk with your kids about, you know, screen time? And we didn't, like, we didn't even talk about porn and some of these other things that are so important for us to talk about regularly with our children and to know that there's a safe place to talk about these things. Um, so I recommend that book. Check it out. Uh, there will be a couple handouts available at the info desk if you feel like picking them up. These are geared a little bit more towards um, parents, probably, of children and knowing how to best help your children engage some of these things that are going on. If, you're, if we run out or if you're watching online, uh, if you can email the office, we'll find a way to get that to you this week as well. Um, there's a lot of different, one of them is a screen time recommendations by age. The other one. There you go. Thanks, Tori. Um, there's a lot of these. If you Google, depending on where you're Googling from, you can read a million different things, right? And you'll see stuff. There's, there's suggestions from the World Health Organization and national this and that societies of who knows what. Um, I came across one that I thought really helped me, and you'll find the website on the handout as well. But it breaks screen time into three different areas. Passive consumption, which refers to any screen time where the child is passively absorbing the screen. So watching television or videos or consuming an application or a game. This also includes most web browsing and most social media scrolling. So this would be passive consumption. Then the second type of screen time is active social. Active social screen time is spent in front of a screen used to communicate with another person. So this would be Skype, FaceTime, text messages. And I think you could even include like posting, making comments on other people's posts because you're you're engaging in it, not just scrolling through. And then the third component of screen time is creative. So this refers to any time spent in front of a screen used for creating something, whether it's a video, a Word document, photography, writing a book, building a website, and so on and so on. My side business is technology-based, right? And so part of my livelihood relies on people owning these addictive devices. But my app's not addictive, it's okay. Just kidding. Um, but with, and then there's different recommendations. For example, for ages six and under, they recommend zero passive because in those developmental stages, YouTube, TV, games do not benefit their brain development at all. Um, and, you know, and then when you get to like ages 14 to 18, the create, um, on the creative side, although there's no limits on how much time you can spend creating because you could be creating income at this point you know, encouraging them while still regularly talking. So there hopefully be some things in there. And then um, there's the second handout is screen time, just some general guidelines. And again, any of this, it's just there if it helps. But I encourage you to do your own research on things. Um, but in the general guidelines, you know, something you may want to, oh, this book also talks about how do I start? Because maybe you've had children for a while and you're like, okay, I, I recognize some of these things that my kids maybe have an unhealthy amount of attention given to screens, what do I do about it? This book has incredibly practical helps about how to start 
a change in your own house. Um, part of that could be adding screen etiquette. Create ground rules in your home for, for what happens. Like for example, should screens be set down when another person enters the room? Something as simple like that, that whoever is in the room gets the priority attention over whoever may be on the other side of the phone. Um, the meal. <laughs> Eating meals as a family. The stats show that young people whose families routinely eat meals together spend more time on homework and reading for pleasure. They are more likely to eat nutritious food and less likely to engage in future substance abuse, sexual intercourse, or suicidal tendencies. Because the hallmark of just having a meal together as a family is a conversation. So anyway, there's things out there. Those are just some practical helps, but... Thanks, Dad. <laughs> what has your attention? What has your attention? And thanks for sharing those practical tips. Something that very practically hit me the other day when it comes to what had my attention. Um, because I... I'm very passionate about a lot of things going on in the world right now. I love to study. I love to research. I love to try and find um, what can we do here? Like, what's the truth here? I like, to, I like to find that. I like to get, so I get overwhelmed by it, and I start to listen to everything. And I was so convicted last week of my time that I was spent listening to the news or to podcasts or to preachers speaking on st stuff you know, prophetic words, and I'm just like, what is happening? And I started getting anxiety, like severe anxiety about what was happening in the world. And the Lord's like, you're spending time with me in the morning, and then you like forget about me the rest of the day. And I was like listening and trying to find some type of stability in uncertainty in the world or in the news. And not that you can't listen to it, but I would say check how much you're listening to those things based off of, and compared to like, voices of truth, worship music. It's not legalism. What I'm telling you is not legalism that you have to go do these things or for a certain amount of time, but I realized that I was listening to the world more and other people's information um, instead of like just saying, okay, I'm going to listen to a sermon. Oh, I'm going to listen to Dr. Dan's theorsology. Like whatever, to input information that's helpful in building us up. So that's a practical tip and just be aware of how much you're taking in. Even with TV last night, I had to call my dad. He knows. I was having a freak out because I was on Twitter and I saw all of these things and people beating people up and I'm just like bawling my eyes out in my room wondering how has our nation gotten to this point. And, but then I started to binge it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you're just like, what's happening? What's happening? I had such an anxiety. I had to call my dad. And I'm like, dad, is it on the news? Are they saying that? What is happening? Because I don't have cable. So, <laughs> and I realized, like, he had to calm me down because he always is great at that. I usually like to take things a little too far first. And then, you know, I like to be dramatic, but I always know I'll come to a good place. Um, and I actually deleted Twitter last night again. And I've had to go through cycles of deleting it. So there's another practical thing. Like, if you're getting hung up on things or the news at night and you're staying there and it's feeding you, turn it off turn it off read a book I did that last night I started reading a book and I was like wow people do these things <laughs> okay okay this is actually a lot more peaceful um do that that's a practical thing one of the books that I have been reading I love the title of this book it's not up on the screen but it's called thou shalt not be a jerk um a Christian's guide to engaging politics <laughs> Um, 
Isn't that an awesome title? Like, come on. It's by Eugene Cho, and I've been following him for quite a while, so I really trust his um, point of view. And I don't agree with everything he says, but I want to tell you guys, you don't have to agree with everything everybody says. And we got to get back to hearing other people's sides and points of view and maybe kind of being like, why do I not agree with this? Is that true? And then maybe change your stance on something. Imagine that. You don't know everything. We don't know everything. And in the fast-paced, changing world around us, we need to be... um, seeing what the world's seeing and hearing what's going on. And I actually do really recommend this. He comes from like a very grounded place and he presents all sides um, of many things. And one of the beautiful things he he really recommends is having dinner with people again. I know there's COVID season, so, you know, Zoom dinners, whatever. Um, But like getting to know people that are not like you on purpose, on purpose. And there's two questions he says, it it says, or two points he said to always ask. Um, Help me understand what you believe. Help me understand what you believe. And what brought you to these conclusions? Because usually if somebody's super passionate about one thing, there's a deep wounding or a pain point. And many times people just need to be heard. You don't have to come to agreement, but they need to be heard because proximity leads to empathy and empathy leads to unity. And that's what we need. Church, we need unity. We have let too often in the season of COVID, mask, no mask. Are you going back to church? Are you not going back to church? How dare you? How do... In the church, how much have you talked about this? How much you... you guys, we are creating so much division and dissension off of things. And I will guarantee you, I can guarantee you that the majority of pastors, as I've sat under one that has so diligently and with integrity tried to do the best thing for our context, most pastors are just trying to do their very best to serve God and to serve the people that God has placed them over. We need to give grace upon grace. And if you don't understand, say, hey, can you help me understand how you got to this decision and why? And maybe you'll understand their point of view and we can have grace for each other in the church. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this, Therefore I, and this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, I, the prisoner in the Lord, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. Just write a piece of paper of gentleness over your, like, computer, okay? Just put it there. Gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. You have to bear it sometimes. Grin and bear it (laughs) with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all, through all and in all. One, one And we're living in such a place of division and the church is trying to figure out what is our place. Can I just tell you that when when the world's trying to say you need to go to the right or you you need to choose the left, I'm going to tell you we need to choose the kingdom. There are things that are going to be right on one side and there's going to be things that are correct on one side. That's probably the better verbiage on this topic. (laughs) Correct on one side and correct on the other side. And we don't need to try try to live in the middle all the time. Yes, the tension for sure, but we need to choose the kingdom way. Because Jesus would not be able to fit all of those things. If everything fits in one way or the other, we need to check and see what Jesus is calling us to. So often Jesus is Jesus presented, is it this way or this way, Jesus? And he goes, actually, 
it's this way over here. You got a little bit right over here, a little bit. No, it's this way, the other way, and what I like to call in my life the kingdom way. We need to look for the kingdom way to move through this, through, through the social media, through, through the technology that's happening. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. And, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, in the airwaves, you guys, the airwaves. This includes social media. May we be on guard and may we look for this way um, that is redemptive because this will lead us to unity. So church... We shouldn't be surprised that the world is acting this way. But we should be surprised that the church is acting this way. We have the answer. We have the truth. We have the hope. The reason why I think politics has become such a thing and a god in so many people's lives is because their hope is in politics. Their hope is in who is in the White House. Their hope is in whoever they voted for, did they win or not? But church, our hope needs to be in Jesus Christ. And if we are so disappointed that we can't see and believe that there's still hope coming just because the person that we wanted is not where it is, we need to check and see where our hope is. Ask the hard questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to convict us and to lead us back on the way of truth so that our eyes are fixed on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we can run this race with perseverance, the race marked out for you. And the world will see and want to join because they need a place of refuge. The church should be the place of refuge where they don't have to deal with all of that mess and they can be here and feel safe and with peace and joy that's unexplainable apart from the answer. And his name is Jesus Christ. well first off thank you guys for putting in the work that's the first thing and secondly the reality is I you've probably never heard me say I've deleted Twitter or anything else most of you know that and I I defriended all of you about 15 years ago because I never started Facebook so there you go so I'm probably not the guy, the reason I'm not up here today is because probably I don't interact with that as much as uh, obviously these guys do. But what I love about the opportunity, and I do love the fact that we have an opportunity with this to use it for the kingdom's sake, and we will continue to figure that out, and uh, thank you for the challenge, thank you for the practical steps, be sure and grab that on the way out. And you know, the passage of scripture that we use is our... Uh, is our mission statement here. It talks about the people in Thessalonica, and Paul talks about with, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. It goes on down in verse 7. It says, you became a model. And it goes on down in verse uh, 9. For they themselves report with the kind of reception you gave them. They tell how you turn, God, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What they were known by was they put down the idols. And they walked in the power and deep conviction. We're missing deep conviction. And power. A lot of deep conviction around, right? But the power. Lord, help us, right? Let me pray for us, Lord. Thank you today. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for these 
three young and some not as young as they used to be people. Uh, But Lord, we thank you for their insight, their openness, their vulnerability. But Lord, I pray today that we walk away from this knowing that the kingdom, we need to hear the echo of the kingdom, not the echo of the culture. And Lord, help us to be that reverberation (laughs) for your people. Well, we love you today. Thank you for this chance to be together. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys at home and online, wherever you are. Blessings. Go have an uncommon week in his name. God bless you. Can you tell me that I'm all right?